Welcome to The Plastic for a Smile, a podcast series by Sustainable Asia. My name is Marcy Trent Long. In our Season 9, we've looked at how a few countries in Asia are tackling PET plastic waste. We visited Taiwan, the gold standard, and discussed the complexities of collecting PET bottles here in Hong Kong. In the last few episodes, we delved into McKinsey.org's pilot waste program in Bali and talked about the challenges of developing Indonesia's waste infrastructure to protect the world's largest archipelago and its marine ecosystem. For this episode, I asked Wu Yufei, the associate producer of this series, to join us as we look at the plastic first mile in China. Hi, Marcy. <laughs> Welcome, Faye. Glad to pull you out from behind the scenes to join me here as a co-host. It seems there's a lot happening with plastic waste these days in China. Well, a lot. China is now rolling out a household sorting program in major cities and implementing new waste legislation. And there are a lot of different smartphones and technology innovations that are coming alongside it that we want to talk about in this episode. It's a big change from two years ago when China implemented their national sword policy, don't you think? Yeah, we did an entire podcast series called 8 Million About That in 2018. China was importing so much waste for their huge recycling industry that they were kind of drowning in their own plastic trash. So after documentaries like Plastic China filmed families from the informal sector sorting through piles of plastic rubbish, the Chinese government said enough. And in the two years since the national sword, China has been busy putting their own house in order. After Shanghai experimented with their garbage sorting program last year, on May 1st this year, Beijing started their own mandatory garbage sorting as well. Beijing residents are told to separate their waste into four different categories. Kitchen, recyclable, hazardous, and other waste. But actually, each community in Beijing could determine their own categories based on the government guideline. Like, what would be an example? Well, my friend Rosella Wan, who lives in Beijing, her community divides the garbage into only two bins, kitchen scraps and other waste. So it's like wet waste and dry waste separation in Indonesia and in Taiwan that we talked about in previous episodes? Yeah, exactly. So the policy started in Beijing in May this year, right? In the middle of the COVID pandemic? Yep. And it's definitely been a big challenge, according to Rosella. I remember there is always a staff who guides the garbage sorting, standing next to each group of garbage cans in our community. On the one hand, it is to check whether the residents are classified according to the regulation. On the other hand, it is also to maintain order. But now, under the influence of the coronavirus, everyone is asked to avoid contact and avoid going out. So there is no community workers who guide next to the trash can. After all, we cannot guarantee that everyone will support and strictly implement garbage classification, especially when no one is supervising. Ah, uh, the common problem we keep hearing is we look at Asia's plastic first mile. Recycling and sorting are a labor of love. So while regulations are key drivers, people still need an incentive to sort and recycle. 
Yes, and education is important also. So Beijing is going to put garbage sorting education into its school teaching plans, and they set a goal to teach 100% of all students about waste sorting by the end of 2020. That's very ambitious. And while the government is trying to institute household waste separation, China's top legislature recently voted to adopt a revision to the Gu Fei Fa, the law on the provision and control of environmental pollution by solid waste. Well, very exciting news! In April 2020, China finally adopted some、uh, changes to the、uh, existing waste management law that has not been amended for over a decade. That was Chris Tsui, a director of Closed Loop Partners, a company that builds partnerships with public and private sector to advance the circular economy in the U.S. and Asia. Our mission is to bring different kind of capital to innovators that are at different stage of circular economy. Chris hails from the banking world in Hong Kong, but that wasn't enough for her. So I'm from the southwest part of China. So we used to have a lot of tropical forest, but because of you know economic development, a lot of trees have been cut down. That's why for me personally, I've always been interested in sustainability because I understand how important it is to strike a balance between economic development. And the health of human beings and the health of the planet. With her work at Closed Loop Partners, Chris has become kind of an expert in explaining the new waste laws in China. For example, the government is going to develop a catalog to identify products and packaging that should or must be recycled. And then, what that means, according to our reading of this new law, is that manufacturers, sellers, importers. They will be required to recycle the products and packaging that will be included in the catalog. And what does this all mean for PET recycling? E-commerce retailers that are, and especially like fast food delivery companies, who are now producing a lot of single-use plastic packaging, they will have the responsibility to first report the use. And recycling of the single-use plastic products. So now all PET plastic packaging used by companies in China will be measured and reported to the government and the consumer. But will these audits make a difference? I think that will definitely increase the、um, PET plastic recycling, because think about it, right? Like to encourage people to recycle more. First, there should be. Education, right? It's a habit. It's the awareness, and I think the change in the law, the government is encouraging or you know asking people to do that. That's very important messaging, and that also means like if you don't do that, you're not fulfilling your social obligation. One thing I know that is unique about China is that it does not allow recycled content in its food grade packaging. That means you can't recycle a PET beverage bottle into another PET beverage bottle. Even though in China there's technology available for bottle to bottle, but the policy for the time being does not allow that, like you know, recycle PET to be used for new packaging. But that might change 
overnight. Who knows? Although it's not being included in this new law, but maybe based on experience from other countries, the Chinese authority will approve that. And I do know, like, the industry is pushing for that as well. So plastic waste can only be used for non-food packaging and products. That's correct. Furniture, carpet, even cars. <laughs> If you want to use recycled PET to make new bottles, it has to be like virgin quality, meaning it has to be transparent. So the quality of China's plastic waste will be lower than, say, Taiwan's, but can be used to manufacture other products. This new law sends a very strong signal to the industry, to the brands, to the manufacturers, importers, that they have to start in investing in innovation now in circular economy. Because if they don't do that, first they're not being compliant. There will be costs. There will be consequences to that. And second, they will fall behind the game in terms of competition, not only with domestic brands but also with international brands that want to come and occupy a market share in China. Once this kind of signal has been sent by the government, we should expect to see a lot of investments from the companies. To invest in、um, innovation of circular economy, and this technological innovation, it actually has started in China, right? It's true. In fact, Chris said we should speak with a company called Tianqiang in Shanghai to learn more about plastic for smile innovation in China. So I ask Sarah Lee, who is also a graduate from HKU Journalism School, now based in Shanghai, to go visit them. Tianqiang Company was founded in 2009. It includes Tianqiang Industry, Tianqiang Environmental Protection, and Jiangsu Tianqiang. We are a high-tech enterprise based on the recycling and decomposition of plastic waste. We focus on innovation, R&D improvement, and sales of plastic waste products. That was Hu Xichao, the CEO of Tianqiang. Tianqiang, according to Chris, is a visionary company that somehow isn't tied down with the need for short-term profits, like the recyclers she works with in the U.S. Yes, and Tianqiang has the ability to vertically integrate, meaning they make profits starting from their plastic waste collection sites all the way through to selling the downcycle products from the plastic waste. They are completely changing the way they do business. For example, in the past, they are more just like a recycler, but now they are expanding their business. They are adding collection points. This center is called our urban mode. If you go through the front door, it's like a cafe, right? Then if you come through the back door, it will be the collection center. This spot is the dry and wet garbage area. The dry recyclable trash is thrown over in this area, and the bottles, metals, and plastic are separated. We have a special person in charge of the center. The city sanitation workers and the cleaners can come to our shared place to rest, as there are many third parties providing sourced, separated rubbish to us. Whoever brings their PET bottle into a collection point owned by Tianqiang will swipe their card into a special machine reader, and the weight of their PET plastic waste and the PET price for that day will appear on their phone. You can go to their smart recycling stations. It's like an ATM. You put your 
plastic bottle in, and you will get paid on your phone as well. And another thing to highlight is their research cooperation with local universities. They are actually working with Tongji University to leverage the big data to improve the、uh, transparency, to improve the supply chain management of their operation. What happens is that every day, if you go to any of Tianjin's collection points, you can see how many tons of paper, plastic, and other kind of material are coming in, and what's the price. And then at the end of the year, they can report that data to the government, to their local government, and the government can use that data to say, "Oh, okay, so this is the actual tons of waste that are being recycled." According to Ms. Hu, Tianqiang has 58 patents and eight software copyrights. So they're really developing themselves by using this technology. But I wonder what motivates them. What did Tianqiang do to make money in the end? We wanted to turn plastic waste into something useful. But why do I have to do a garbage sorting system? It's because Tianqiang needs to get more supply channels. We want to have hundreds of collection points and hundreds of recycling stations. So we joined the government's three-year environmental protection action plan. So for all the plastic collected, Tianxiang can have purchasing priority. Then that plastic waste can be transported to our 20 hectares production facility base in Jiangsu for upcycling. Indeed, they really need the government to support them. Foreign countries used to say that in China, economic growth has been unbridled, and we don't pay attention to environmental protection, right? Now we can say that China has policies in development. The state attaches great importance to them. There are professors who are helping with research, and our private enterprises are innovating and developing at the grassroots level. And I think the requirement in China now for companies, not only public companies, but the polluters and the users, to publish their use or to publish their measures to control and manage solid waste. That's the first step forward. After shocking the world in 2018 with the National Sword Policy blocking imported waste, China seems to be getting their house in order on plastic waste. First, as Chris described, programs are being put in place to measure and report the packaging plastic waste produced by commercial enterprises. Second, China is assigning costs if companies generate too much plastic waste. Finally. China seems to be encouraging a route to innovation, allowing companies like Tianqiang to establish multiple cafe-style collection points that also provide weight and pricing data delivered to your phone. In the next and final episode of Asia's Plastic First Mile, I'll have a discussion with plastic waste experts Doug Woodring of Ocean Recovery Alliance and Brenda Heidema of Plastic First Mile. We're going to talk about the lessons learned in this series, and what else is happening with the plastic first mile in countries we didn't have time to touch upon. Season nine, Asia's plastic first mile, is hosted by me, Marcy Trent Long. Wu Yufei is our associate producer. Sound engineering by Chris Wood. Alexander Mobison created the intro-outro music made from repurposed and recovered waste items. You can find his work at kaleknuller.net. A big thank you to our Sustainable Asia team: Josie Chan, Crystal Wu, Bonnie Ao, Ariane Derosier, Joshua Lee, and Jill Baxter. 
Special thanks to the Journalism and Media Studies Center at the University of Hong Kong, where Sustainable Asia is recorded. 